0: back so this is session three I mm-hmm. mean um, in this session we're looking at managing some of those more difficult behaviors that anxious children often anxious children present with so when setting limits is it important to be clear predictable and positive so let's look at the ways we can use this so we're going to look at um, some of the ways that are going to help us um, to be more critical yeah so vague commands so, what is wrong with saying something like pull your socks up or behave? Or how many times do I have to tell you to a young child? I've got a clue what you're talking no. about. That's right. Most of the time, they won't have the foggiest idea what you're talking about. If you want a child to do something, then you have to tell him or her in simple, plain language what behaviours you expect to see. So, I suppose pull your socks up is. What is it? Behave or, yes I know what it means okay. but how, how do you, pull you your know, socks
1: up means kind of make more of an effort I guess doesn't it, come on now, pull your socks up, let's kind of try yeah. harder,
0: yeah. But they're not going to know what that means no. because they probably will pull their socks up yes. and then we tell them off for being cheeky. Absolutely. So we need to be predictable, so we need to tell them what we want them to do.
1: Yeah and a great example from one of the courses that we just always remember makes me laugh so much is that one dad said to his son, his son was talking about his friend, and I think they were at secondary school even, so probably the first year at secondary school, and the dad said to his son about the son's friend, you two are really thick, aren't you? And the son sort of said, well, I'm in the bottom class for at maths, <laughs> but he's really, you know, he's in the top group. And what the dad obviously actually meant was, you two are as kind of thick as thieves, you're really friendly. Yes. Yeah but an oh, absolutely and felt that the dad was saying that he was mm. not very intelligent mm. oh dear <laughs> I hopefully went back and told him something I think so I think it was sorted out oh, yes gosh. Um. another thing is failing to get the child's attention when you issue a command so you and I think this is a very common thing and I know I've definitely done it you kind of shout through you know get ready for school now or time to tidy up your toys from the other room now the problem with this is that the child genuinely may not have heard mm-hmm. but even if they have heard you've no way of knowing if they've followed through and they know that you've no way of knowing if they've followed through so you may find
0: it doesn't happen. Yeah, I used to do that with my mm-hmm. boys when they got to teenagers, right, in fact 10 minutes we're going and in 10 minutes time because I shouted up i got and they was still in bed because they hadn't heard me. Yeah. Um, So the next one, and I've done this one as well, a long strings of commands. I want you to go upstairs, wash your face, brush your teeth, don't drop the towel on the floor, get into your pajamas, the clean red ones in the bottom drawer, and don't forget to put your clothes in the laundry basket. So I wonder if anybody can remember what the second one of (laughs) them is. I've read this various times and I still couldn't tell you. So we, we give a long string of commands, and then we asked, you know, the parents on our course what and they've no idea so i think it's about with small children i think if you're asking them to do something like getting ready for bed it's like go upstairs and put your pajamas on so i think it would be one command at a time um, yes. and as they get older it could be two or maybe three but with any of us if we're told lots of commands we're probably still focusing on the first one and, and didn't hear the others anyway and particularly for anxious children
1: yes who want to get it right yes Um, and they've got that anxiety in their mind, it's going to be very tricky. And you'll probably
0: go upstairs and find them just standing there because they can't remember anything.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You
0: need to be careful of those. Think about
1: your tone of voice when you're maybe issuing a command. So you might say, please, please, will you tidy up your toys now? Mm, No. So you know, if you're using that sort of pleading, begging voice, it kind of conveys to the child that you're not really sure it's going to happen, in which case it probably won't. And it also maybe gives the child the feeling that you're not really in control, and the the child then has a lot of control, which too much control, particularly for an anxious child, Mm. can make them feel very unsafe. Yeah. Equally, what do you think about tidy
0: up your toys now? (laughs) No. If I was really anxious, I'd be crying now and running away. Yeah,
1: and again, it indicates to the child that you're not in control. You've lost your temper, you're angry, and it's very scary and frightening. Mmm, you
0: need to find something in between. Yes. Questions, questions. Right, can you put your toys away now, please? No. Would you like a bath? No, not tonight, thanks. So, you know, they're saying the problem is that, you know, the child is perfectly in their right to say no. Um, so without giving them the option, I think it would be it's bath time now. It's time to put yeah, the toys away. It's time, yeah. Um, not ask them the question. Mm. Because I think, you know, the trouble is we say to them, Would you like a bath and they say no and we go, Well you're gonna have one anyway and then well you ask me then we end up in a round. Yeah which is not good before bedtime. No.
1: <laughs> but it's surprisingly common how much yes. we do that.
0: Ask questions. Yes, yeah. Mm. Um,
1: next one, I quite like this. I, I find this very interesting. So this is thinking about what they call, what we call stop commands. So if you want a child to not do something, I think probably we generally tend to focus on what you want them to stop doing. Mm. But I think we touched on this earlier when we talked about it. It's much you get a much better response in in terms of if you focus on what you want them to do rather than what you don't want them to do. A little bit like that thing of if you say don't think of an elephant you immediately picture a big grey thing. So I'm just going to read out to you some research that was done which I think I personally find very interesting. So it was some American research, it used baseball players. The aim was to get them to hit the ball more slowly and accurately. So the coaches would say to the players, OK Chuck, don't put so much speed on the ball this time. And what happened to the baseball players? Yep, they all ended up hitting the ball even faster than before. The psychologists reckoned that this was because they had heard the word speed this had triggered their mind into thinking about hitting the ball fast. Their brains had failed to process the word don't. So, next time the coaches asked the baseball players to hit the ball nice and slow this time. What happened? Yep, they focused on the slow and hit the ball nice and slow. Children are just like baseball players. So, and I that's when we talk about, I can't remember what it was you talked about, it was about focusing on the behaviour that you want Mm. to see. So, you know, if a child is sitting um, at the dinner table and swinging their legs and kicking it on the table and making a noise, instead of saying, don't kick your legs and bang the table, you would say something like, keep your legs nice and still. So very much focus on what you want the child to yeah. do and what not what you don't want them to do.
0: Mm. As you say, we've touched on that. Yes. So in addition, there are a number of strategies that we can use to increase <clears throat> the likelihood of compliance to a command. <clears throat> and one that I like, one of my favourites, is mm. when and then commands. So when and then commands um, would be something like an example would be when you have done your homework, um, then you can watch television so the child is told what behavior is expected and then the small reward will follow immediately Um, and they say that we say that um, the grammatical form of when and then commands is such that it's easily understood by even quite young children Mm. and those with mild language impairments so what you might say is um, it's important to keep it positive
1: yeah
0: because if you said when you finish your homework then it's bedtime chances are you're not going to get a lot of homework done. Um, So it's, you know, the then is always a reward and not a punishment. So the parents should, then you should follow through with the small reward. So when you've done your homework, then you can watch television. When you've had your dinner, then you have a nice lolly. When you picked up your toys, then we'll go to the park.
1: Yeah. So. And using the word now. That's um, also quite an important one. And I think sometimes parents have said, they feel a bit rude saying, "tidy up your toys now or whatever their, the command is. But it is actually important. And I mean, I've got, well, older than teenagers now, really, but I, it drives me mad because I will issue a command and they'll say yes. And half an hour later, it still hasn't happened. But probably that is my fault, because if you say to a child, can you tidy up your toys, or you need to tidy up your toys, there's no time frame attached. If you say now, then it communicates to them the level of urgency. Mm. If it doesn't need to be now, then you can give them a time frame. After you've finished that television programme, you need to turn the television off. But if you want it to happen now, use the word
0: now so the child knows. I think it's a good one also going back to giving, um, when we talked about special play, about Mm. giving warnings. I think... um, it's really important to say when your TV programme has finished, then it's bath time. Um, your television programme's five more minutes, then it's bath time. It gives them that countdown rather than just going in and switching off the TV and then going, right, yeah. bath, because you're going to end up with an argument on your hands. Absolutely. So I think giving that, you know, when you've done that, then this will happen mm. and they then they know what's expected of them, don't they? It's yeah. not going to come out of the blue. It's not going to be a surprise. Yes yeah definitely
1: and you know none of us would like to be watching television as adults no. in our favourite programme and suddenly somebody comes in and turns it off I absolutely
0: suppose.
1: absolutely so yeah it's a bit of respect
0: as well yeah. um giving choices and alternatives which we've talked about before that you know children have very few choices in their life um so it's important for example when we do the special play that, that is in their control they have the choices but i think it's um you know none of us likes being told what to do and children are no exception mm. but we can soften the blow by giving choices for instance do you want to wear your red socks or your blue socks it's suggesting you are going to have to wear socks but you can choose if it could be gray mm. or black for school mm. um they're more likely to um you know comply but it's also it's important to give the child some control over the decisions and subsequently increases the odds of them complying um, So it's very much even if you're stopping them doing something like you can't watch any more television But you can play a game. Yeah, it's like it's you although you're stopping something. You're giving them a choice mm. Mm. Um, You could say you could do your homework um, Now or after your program. Yeah if, if they do but that might be when you've done your homework, then you
1: can watch television. Well, I think the the thing about giving choices is they need to be guided by us. So for example, in that situation, it's not a choice of whether you do your homework, but it's perhaps something like, would you like to do your homework now? And then it will be out of the way and you'll be able to have as much television as you want, if that's allowed, Mm. or you could finish this programme and Mm. then do your homework, but that means you'd then miss. So give them a choice, maybe attach the more positive Mm. outcome to the choice that you'd like them to make. But But the choice is
0: not whether you're doing your homework. No, and I think, as you've said, the choice needs to be in your control. Yes. Because I think if you say to a child, what would you like for tea? And they say lobster, you'll Mm. shout at them and say, we haven't got any. But if you said, do you want fish fingers or sausages? Mm. You know, they've got, you've got both of those. So whatever they choose, then they can choose, Mm. but not just open ended questions, yeah. I think they need to be in your control, Yeah. So you, although it, they feel like they have choice and alternatives, yes they do, but, but it's going on yeah. Yeah. yeah, and when you're giving commands, think about
1: your thinking, feeling, behaviour that we talked about, if you are At the end of your tether and you're you're asking in a very angry way you're more likely to get sort of resistant unhappy behavior in response so just be aware of of how you are when you're issuing
0: commands i think the um i think the last one here is um remember to praise when the child complies and this is hugely important once the child has complied it is vitally important the parents Mm. praise them for doing this um and then you know if they're using it with specific label praise you know what does that do to behavior so if they do comply it the behavior is much more likely to happen again in the future and it also makes the child feel as if they have chosen um appropriately and therefore gives them a powerful sense of control over their environment and reinforces their positive beliefs about themselves And yeah. you know, if they comply and you say thank you for doing as i've asked it's respectful, but it's also saying, you know, I made the right decision yeah. because I know um, yeah. from what you've said. Mm. So we've looked at ways to be clear um, and what we're asking our ch- children to do using positive age-appropriate language. Yeah. And that's quite important that, you know, it's age-appropriate. Your children understand what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so next time we'll be looking at withdrawal of attention or active ignoring. To manage um, anxious children's behaviours, so I'll put it put them on in a minute. Okay, when you're ready, you'll need them. Will you? I will need them.
1: Hello, welcome back again, everybody. So, in this last segment of session two, um, we return to the attention rule that
0: we discussed.
1: What do children want?
0: Oh, um, they want attention. Always.
1: That was my next question, when do they want it? Always. Always. Absolutely. And we've already discussed that when you give attention to a child's behaviour, you're more likely to see that behaviour repeated. So by using positive attention, you're more likely to get repeated Mm. those behaviours. Now the reverse is also true. That children will do less of any behaviours that we consistently fail to notice or that consistently fails to get our attention. We're going to look at ignoring or an active ignoring and look at what behaviours you can safely ignore um, and how to ignore successfully because it it is quite tricky and certainly some parents say, so, yeah, I've tried that in the past, but then I cave in or, you know, or I end up shouting. So we're going to look at ways that we, we might be able to manage it in a different way. Mm. We're going to do another role play and we're not going to actually act. We're just going to read out again from, from the book as we did before. So once again, bear with us, no laughing. Um, and it just demonstrates how you can perhaps use ignoring. Mom, can I have a biscuit? Um, you can have one after dinner. I want a biscuit now. Well,
0: you can't have one. You won't eat your dinner. I will. I promise. I will. I promise. You won't. That's what you said last night. And what happened? You didn't eat half of your dinner. But mom, I'm so so hungry. I'm starving. I'm not listening. La, 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 I hate you. La, la, la. I hate you. Don't speak to me like that. You wait till your father gets but home. I, what, Okay,
1: shall we just pause that there? Yep. We're going to do it again, but in a slightly different way. Mum, can I have a biscuit?
0: When you've had your dinner, then you can have a biscuit.
1: But I want a biscuit now. I'm going to cook dinner. Mum, mum, I want a biscuit. Mum, mum, I'm starving. I'm absolutely starving, mum.
0: Mum! Mum! Okay. So, we will ask parents in this role play, um, what, who played the five-year-old? You did play the five-year-old. Um, which one did you feel you were going to get the biscuit in?
1: um I think probably most likely in the first one you'd have caved in in the end you just
0: said oh have the biscuit I think I was (laughs) knit um so what is more likely to end up with me giving you the biscuit then Mm. the first one yeah um um, what's most likely to end with us having a calm happy dinner well or at least an okay
1: (laughs) yeah probably the
0: second one yeah which one was most stressful? Do you think for me? <laughs> Probably the fir- I'm sure the first one. Yeah, I think it, it's I think with younger children when you get into an argument, it just escalates and they just keep coming back and throwing things on the fire and you and then you're fine with teenagers that 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 you will never win. Yes, is my experience with a teenager they don't give up and they just go on and on and on. Yeah, so I think. Uh, you know our thinking is that the sooner you can get hold of this with younger children they soon learn that mum says no there's no point in asking but i think it's it's going to be more difficult with a five-year-old i suppose or an older child um but Uh, not undo no
1: no i think that's right and i think because i i found that with my son and i i think i didn't do this job and i didn't use ignoring probably till he was a teenager Mm because I think I felt that he shouldn't be allowed to be rude to me or he shouldn't be allowed to have the last word. So Mm -hmm. he would say something like, I hate you. And as you did, I would come back with, don't you dare speak to me like that. And then he would come back with, well, you spoke to me like that and we'd go backwards and forwards. And what I learned was that exactly as in the second one, actually, you've got no place to go. Mm -hmm. If somebody is not, playing that table tennis game of backwards and forwards so one of the phrases i always like is sometimes in order to win the war you have to lose a battle Mm. so the battle i had to lose was that actually my son would have the last word so he would uh you know probably say something rude to me but by not coming back to him it
0: won the war because because that was as far as it went we suggest don't we that we're Fueling the argument yes. by coming back with something because then they've got something else to come back to absolutely So I think even with a small child, they're going to keep coming back. Yeah So in the in the second one what the parent didn't do after the initial when and then was not engage Yeah um, And I distracted myself. I kept calm I gave a strong message to you that I wasn't going to engage. Yeah. at all. Yeah um, So I didn't look at you. I didn't make eye contact with you Um And they say here it works with adults and children as well. Mm. So we know that with adults, don't we? If we don't engage in in an argument, it usually goes away. Um, And this also helps if, if you're feeling like a strong emotion towards your child. It may be that you want to laugh or it may be that you're really angry. But if you're, you know, if you don't look at them and you're facing away from them, then you're more likely to sort of hold out, isn't it? Yeah. Um, And they say in, um, we're talking about not touching the child at all, but um, in some parenting programs, they might, as long as, you know, to keep them safe, I think, isn't it? And to to guide them. Um,
1: I think sort of the key
0: messages
1: that when you are ignoring the behavior and it's very important that we emphasize that we're talking about ignoring the behavior we're Mm. not talking about ignoring the child it does mean that while the child's behaving in that way you probably will feel like you're ignoring the child but you're ignoring the behavior that you don't give away That you are very irritated because that mm. in itself will be a reward yeah. for the child so it's about going back to that kind of straight face and mm. not not giving mm. indications that you're which is
0: very hard an provocation yes. as we've said so it's yeah. not it's not an easy thing to do no absolutely but i think once it has been sort of done for a while it can be easier to do the sort of next time isn't it so they're yeah. talking about what behaviors can be ignored yes
1: i just wanted to add in there and we probably do discuss this later but i do think the, the key thing as well is when the child stops that behavior prays, you yeah. praise and you give attention yes because the withdrawal of attention or ignoring will only work if once mm. they are behaving mm. yeah. in the wanted way yeah. you then praise and give yeah. attention but yes absolutely we're looking at what you know what behaviours can be ignored because we're not suggesting for a moment that you ignore all behaviours. So things that you can ignore are more the sort of minor irritating or annoying behaviours but ones that are not harmful or destructive. So for example moaning, whinging, having a tantrum, nagging, um, past things that parents have told us, um, making noises at meal times, just that kind of low-level irritating behaviour that if you pay attention to, you're going to much more likely get them to replicate mm-hmm. that behaviour. If you ignore it, you will probably find that it goes away. We had a
0: couple or a parent on our course and they were talking about a meal time yeah. Um, where they were sitting at the table with their two slightly older children and, um, one was under the table and was misbehaving and the other was sitting beautifully. And the father went to speak to the one under the table and give her attention. But mum said, no, nope, because we've done this week. And she praised the one who was sitting nicely yeah. and saying, well done for sitting at the table. What have you done today? And, 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 yeah. you know, that's really good. You're sitting there. And the other one popped up and sat and wanted to be praised. Mm-hmm. So. We say normally what would happen? Who would you have got most attention would have been the one under the table. We inadvertently give attention to the behavior we don't want to see, which means it carries on. And that also has an impact on the one who's sitting at the table behaving. We often have parents who say, oh, my older one does it. And now my younger one's copying. Mm. (coughs) Well, if they're getting attention, Then they feel that's the way to get attention. Yeah. So by giving good attention, the other one learned that that's how I get attention. Absolutely. Which was really powerful. It
1: was. Yeah, I remember that well. Um, And just worth mentioning in behaviours that you can ignore is swearing with a question mark I'm putting. So we often have quite um, lengthy discussions about this. And swearing can, in some people, raise really kind of powerful emotions. But thinking about what we've been talking about in terms of what you pay attention to, you're going to get more of, we would definitely suggest, particularly in younger children who often don't know what they're saying but they know that it's a word that gets a reaction, we would suggest that you aim to ignore swearing and, and,
0: and see if it goes away. And the chances are your children will know that it's unacceptable. Yes. acceptable. Yes. But by giving attention to it will just make it more powerful for them. Yes. Yeah. then they're going to draw you back in, which is what they're trying to do. Yes. Yeah. So behaviours you can't ignore, Victoria. Mm. Anything that is dangerous, obviously. Um, If the behaviour is posing a risk to the child or anyone else, it can't be ignored. So obviously, if they go and pick on their smaller brother or sister or anybody else and start hurting them, it is a behaviour that can't be ignored and we explore that a bit later on. Mm. Um, Anything that is damaging things, um, if the behaviour could cause a breakage, it usually can't be ignored. Parents may choose to ignore behaviours that put their child's own inexpensive things at risk. Mm. Obviously, we've had parents and I've had parents whose six-year-olds have threatened to break TVs and have broken TVs. I mean, that's very difficult, isn't it? Because then you replace it and then they know they can do it again. So we'll look at that a bit later on. One of the behaviours you can't ignore is non-compliance. If a child refuses to comply with a parental command, this Mm. cannot be ignored. So, why do you think that is? You know, why do you think if a child doesn't um, do as they're told, if you have a think about it, um, the child would have learned that they can ignore your commands and they will get away with not doing as they are told. And clearly, this is not a good thing in in terms of parental control.
1: And then just thinking about some
0: borderline behaviours.
1: So um, and borderline behaviours are things like head banging, breath holding, some children do those sorts of behaviours and some parents feel, I can't ignore that, you know, they're going to harm mm. themselves. I think, you know, experience has shown that actually children very, very rarely do harm themselves in those situations. and again you know if they've got an audience who are watching and giving lots of attention it's more likely to be replicated it's tricky because obviously that sort of behavior is frightening for parents but we would suggest trying trying to pay certainly less attention to
0: Mm. it worrying and reassurance seeking um so we're going to look at that yeah in, in our next session um but what we're saying here is that some worrying and reassurance-seeking is maintained by us giving lots of fuss and attention to it, as we said before, isn't it? If we mm. don't ignore some of the behaviours or some of the um, anxiety, that maybe it can make it you know, continue. If we yeah. pay attention to it, that's what the children have learnt to do. Yeah. Um, and it says, uh, in these cases, after the initial worry has been dealt with, appropriately, ignoring a behaviour the behaviour is sometimes the right thing to do but we'll look at that in um, more detail and how to manage it yes yeah so getting the most out of ignoring i think what we will suggest (laughs) is that um, behaviour will get worse before it gets better Mm. Um, and this is often the principal reason why early attempts at the technique are unsuccessful i'm ignoring it just like you said and she's actually doing it more so we need to be prepared for this um, so you need to be aware of what you can ignore such as louder shouting whining anger and abuse emotional blackmail I love you dad would let me have a biscuit if he was here please I'm so hungry and getting distressed and, and tears um, you know these if, if this is what the children do and then we give in we're paying attention to that so this is where they'll go the next time yeah they'll they'll The auntie and say oh but you know daddy would give me one or grandma would give me one you know to make us feel bad really i suppose Mm. Mm. um no looking or touching or talking to the child when you're ignoring their behavior so it helps to distract yourself really you know go go you know somewhere that's safe or if you can leave the room but not have eye contact and think about your thoughts feeling behavior cycle why you know why you have to think why you're doing these things you know you're doing it because you're a horrible mummy um if you're thinking you're not letting them have biscuits before dinner and you change your thinking to think i don't i want them to eat healthily i don't want them to eat biscuits i want them to grow up to have a good diet um and and things like that it it could be one of your coping thoughts it's like i am a good parent i am doing this for your sake um and you can sort of have these in your head um, so you have to think about what can you tell yourself to stop you giving in um, and we might explore this you know with some of the parents but it might be useful if you think about you know some of the alternative thoughts that you can have yeah. i'm a good mom i don't want them to eat biscuits i want to look after their teeth I, you know all those kinds of things mm. are going to help you to carry on um, the child learns that if they go on for long enough that mum and dad will give in um, therefore they will persist a little bit longer if we give in so if we, if they go on and on and on and then we give in it's going to teach them that all I have to yeah. do is persist um, and as we've suggested before ignoring only works properly if the rest of the anxiety pyramid is in place it depends on the parent and child having a good relationship and on the child knowing that switching to a more desirable behaviour will attract the parent's praise and attention, as you suggested Mm. earlier. Mm. Um, So once the child has stopped doing whatever they were doing, return your attention immediately, give some specific label praise. For example, well done for calming yourself down. Um, They're talking about, you know, how effective do you think ignoring is going to be the first time you do it? It's probably going to be really, really difficult um, for you to hold out but they're hoping that the more it happens and the more you don't give in, the child will eventually give up and go, mum's not going to give in, dad's not going to let me do it. There's no point. Yeah. And hopefully that's what they would do. And we've definitely seen that evidence yeah. in, in practice. Yeah. yeah. So you talk about where's the best place to ignore for the first time, in the supermarket, when you're tired and stressed, or at the mother-in-law's house. And they say, no, the best time to try this is at home when you have plenty of time and when you're feeling most calm and in control. Yeah.
1: So just a few things to, to remember. Um, so, and this is a bit like Victoria was saying earlier, so what happens if a child is nagging and nagging and we start to ignore and then, you know, after a few minutes we just snap and we either yell or we say, oh, have the biscuit then exactly as victoria said the child then learns that that's what they need to do Just to get go the biscuit next time so if you know that you're not feeling strong enough for whatever reason or there's not enough time to hold out it's better to give in to the child immediately so can i have a biscuit yes okay if you want one or you know well, it's dinner and it may spoil your appetite but if you want to have a biscuit give in then rather than allowing them to nag and plead and then yeah. give in because we teach them to nag then don't we
0: absolutely which is what i did for my children yes and me too i think <laughs> yes so they're saying here that um, modeling and staying really calm in the face of substantial provocation children would learn that they too can stay calm when all around them is in chaos And that's what we want our children to do, we want them to stay calm and be able to manage um, strong emotions emotions really. Mm -hmm. So we've looked at ignoring, um, which we all agree is difficult, but hopefully helpful. Remember that as soon as the unwanted behaviour stops, you then give attention. So that's really important that you then give attention. Ignoring, modelling, stay calm in the face of stressful stimulus. In the next session, we'll be looking at managing children's worries. So welcome. So in this session, we are going to look at worry Mm. and managing children's worry. We focus on the techniques of problem solving and behavioural experiments. So we're going to start with, is it normal to worry? So what do you think? So if you have a think about it, is it normal? Do children worry? small children worry um, you know I think we all worry and I think it's very much about um, people often have a very rosy idea of childhood um filled with children who don't have a care in the world and unfortunately research shows this isn't true it's completely normal for even very quite young children to worry about things so it would be foolhardy to try and stop a child worrying completely the aim for us is to produce children who can worry productively and who have some control over their less useful worries. So, you know, when is worry good? Worry can definitely
1: be good. um, If you think to a time when you might have taken an exam Mm -hmm. or your driving test, something like that, you have that adrenaline. Charging around and it actually makes you more able to to complete those tasks and more alert. So And I guess in terms of danger Worry can be good then so thinking about crossing the road mm-hmm. Actually some of that worry keeps us safe yeah. So definitely sometimes yeah. when worry can be good When is worry bad? now I think what we would probably think is maybe saying worry is bad is not the right right way to phrase it. I think when worry takes over your life and means that you're not able to complete your activities of daily living then worry can be a concern but you hear people saying things like oh well catastrophizing about worry for want of a better word so oh he's going to worry himself to death. Or or if he carries on worrying like that, he's going to have a massive heart attack and drop down dead. So, when we catastrophize about worry, then that can can be harmful and we're just going to sort of slightly sidetrack and think about some of those more unhelpful thoughts that we have. Mm. So, they're called various things. Positive automatic thoughts, negative automatic thoughts. Your children possibly might know them as green and red thoughts, because there is a programme at school um, that calls them green and red thoughts. So positive thoughts or green thoughts are helpful thoughts that encourage us to do things. Um, So if when you're gonna have a game of football, for example, thinking, you know, I'm I'm really good at football. This is going to be a really good match. It's a positive thought and you're more likely to go out and succeed. Starting the game with a negative automatic thought, I'm no good. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be so embarrassing. It's almost a little bit like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. Um, so, So I'm just going to talk about some of the thinking errors or as I say, negative automatic thoughts. And you may well recognise some of this in yourself, or in your children. So, black and white thinking is something that happens, and that's in terms of us thinking very much in terms of everything is wonderful, or everything is terrible. And actually, that's very rarely true. Um, Things are usually somewhere in the middle. But if we have these thoughts, that everything's terrible, um, it's not going to kind of help us to encourage to do things. catastrophizing. so we've mentioned that and that's a real kind of common one. So mm. that's making a mountain out of a molehill, would you use yeah. that expression for catastrophizing? So terrible things are going to happen, it's going to be so much worse than the reality. Fortune telling. I know I definitely do this one. So we think we know what's going to happen. If I go to that party, it's going to be terrible. Nobody's going to speak to me. And it's, I'm just going to feel so embarrassed standing the cor- in the corner on my own. Again, the reality is that we don't know. Yeah. And very often, the reality is actually different to how we imagine it's going to be mind reading is, a, is another one which I recognise which is when you think you know what's happening so I guess a common one for teenagers might be or for any of us possibly but they're at school and they walk past a group of girls and the girls start laughing and they think they're laughing at. I, I know they're laughing at me or they're laughing at my hair or whatever actually they were probably laughing at a joke that somebody shared but uh, these negative automatic thoughts crowd in and we think we, we read their mind Negative filtering that's when you actually only look at the evidence that supports your negative view so um, Kind of an example that I might be able to give you is a friend of mine had got a real she was having a real anxious time about Uh, the fact that she'd done a long distance flight with her daughter when she was little and she'd become sort of fixated on the on radiation uh, linked to flying and that had this done some damage to her daughter and I was trying to help her and provide written evidence that the radiation from flying is so tiny And that was the overwhelming evidence but in amongst that she'd managed to find a couple of little articles that kind of suggested that maybe it was harmful and she completely filtered out the articles stating that it wasn't a risk and just focused on these two that supported her theory. So I think again you know we can quite often do that. And personalising, it's a bit like mind reading, but feeling that you are responsible for things, even if you haven't necessarily been involved in something. So, uh, the example they um, give here is if a friend gets upset, you may immediately worry about what you might have said or done that might have upset them. So, you know, before they got upset, you were fairly happy with what what you'd said. get upset and and you immediately personalise it. What have I done? is it my fault Mm. so the important thing why we've kind of brought that in is because if you can be aware that you might be doing those things or you might see it in your children then you can challenge that and, and and kind of look at the evidence of whether those thoughts
0: all are real and accurate. So, we talk about listening skills, and the first thing we should do when a child comes to us with a sort of the new worry mm. um, is to listen to what the child is saying. So, um, what, what we talk about here is it's, it, it's um, about getting down to what the problem really is. Um, so, it's what we need to do is listen to the child. Ask lots of questions about the worry and challenge their thinking. Yeah. Be kind and sympathetic. So if your child comes home and goes, Nobody played with me at break time today, everybody hates me and then you you know, quite often we say, Oh, don't worry, they'll play with you tomorrow or we we would fix it wouldn't we because yes. fix it fixes um, or i'm sure that wasn't what happened but if you say oh dear that sounds really sad i wonder you know can you tell me more they might then tell you that they wanted to play a game that the others didn't want to so they sat on the bench and they wouldn't play with them so actually you know i think you need to be it not criticize the child and say well if you'd played their game you'd have had someone to play with it's very much about saying it's really difficult isn't it when people want to play a game and and then you know, you don't want to play it, I wonder what you could do next time. So it's about listening, questioning, being kind and sympathetic, because they're trying to sort out these feelings as well, and, you know, mm. they're probably new to them, but never criticise the child. And I just wanted to add in the listening
1: bit, we, we did talk about it when we talked about special play, but I just wanted to add in there that, so we were very much in we talked about special play, special time, focusing on the child and letting them know that they had your full attention i think it's really important when you're listening to your child that you do the same we live in very busy noisy Mm, worlds mm. now and i think often we're unaware that we've got our phone there and you know we might just glance at it and i know i've done this with my children And I'm sort of saying, yeah, yeah, you know, and so I'm, but then I've I've had a message in and I've just glanced at it. And they'll say, mum, you're not listening to me. Mm. And actually they're right. So I think when a child has a worry and they've Mm. come to you to talk about their worry, it's
0: really important that you employ your real active listening skills. I think it's important that, you know, if a child does come to you and they have a a worry, yes, we do live in busy times. So I think if you don't have the time or you're cooking dinner or something's happening, it's really important for you to say, I really, really want to hear what you've got yeah. to say. I can't do that right now, but after dinner or before dinner or whenever, and then go to them at that time. Definitely. Even if they then say, it's all right, I've thought about it and I fixed it. You've gone back and you have stuck to your word. So I think, you know, it's not saying that we always have the time to listen, but maybe <coughs> we could put that in place. And if they trust that you will come back to them. Yes. Um, I think that's really important. Um, So we talk about what you do next depends on whether the child's worry is realistic or unrealistic. So I think what we talk about here is realistic worries are those that are real life problems. Mm. It's not in the child's imagination. For example, if a child is poor at spelling and is worried that they may fail the test on Friday, this is possibly probably a realistic worry. (coughs) It's not in their heads. It's not something they're worried about and worries like these need problem solving. Um, So what we're going to do here and what we would do with parents, and I think we'll just talk through this is we have a scenario about Lee being called names by a girl at school and what should he do? And what we then go on to do is some solution focus and problem solving um, about you know, getting the child to come up with some ways of um, managing the problem. So we might say, okay, so what could you do? And we would do this in the group and we'd get the parents to say, so they might say, oh, I'd walk away, I'd talk to a teacher. I'd hit him. I'd hit him, Um, which we would do some ignoring then if they said that. So we would ignore that answer. So we pay attention, we write them all down. Um, And then we go through the solutions one by one. So you could walk away. That's a really good idea. I like that. So we could write that one down. Um, What else could you do? I could tell the teacher. Um, Okay, that's a really good idea. Um, The hitting one we would probably ignore because we don't want to pay attention to that. (coughs) Um, So we'd write them down and then we'd talk about, you know, how do we then, what are the pros and cons of those? So if you walk away if you tell the teacher um and then we encourage them to think about how using praising encur- attention mm. um encourages the child to focus on some helpful solutions and move away from the unhelpful so we move away from the i'd hit him or i'd swear at him or whatever um so then what we would do next depending on the age of your child we'd usually choose one so for example we might say i'd walk away and tell the teacher which is not always if your child is quite young that's quite a huge thing to ask a small child to do to tell the teacher and walk away so what we might need to do with those children is a bit of planning so we might ask them some questions like um, which teacher would you tell because we want them to have good outcome um, what might you say and when would you say it because we don't want them in the middle of class telling the teacher or because obviously the teachers are going to say i'm really busy and i can't do it now Um, So we would then um, work out what they were going to do and maybe do some role play with a small child, if you can do that. So we'd say, okay, I'll be the teacher, you tell me what you're going to do and then we'll we'll role play it. So that you give those children the skills to be able to follow it through. Because with littleies, it's not enough to say, just go and tell the teacher, Mm. because they might not be able to do that. They Mm. might not know what to say. They might find it really difficult Uh, and not even just littlest. to be honest yes
1: you know older anxious children oh i couldn't say that whereas you say well let's let's have a let's have a little practice and just see how that feels um i mean i've kind of done that even with my teenagers um i think you know it gives them that little bit of confidence if they've had Mm. a practice okay i think the important bit there um is that how victoria described it was very much that you were not fixing you were not suggesting solutions you might need to you might need to make a suggestion if the child really just can't come up with anything but you're helping them problem solve which is a a massive life skill And also the child is more likely to follow through with it if it's something that they feel okay with and comfortable with rather than us saying right well what you need to do is it yeah and you're going to encourage the child to come to you more Mm -hmm. if you listen and allow them their time as as we've said previously Mm. so then uh, that was thinking about realistic worries so then we've thinking about unrealistic worries and and this is a bit more of a tricky one so what sort of things might be an unrealistic worry maybe monsters under the bed or I don't want I'm worried that mum's going to die is that an unrealistic worry because you can't say that that's not going to happen it's you know, unless somebody is unwell, it's, it's unlikely to happen. So it is classed mainly as an unrealistic worry. The key, the key thing with these worries in both unrealistic and realistic worries is that your listening is key so that you can try and understand more where that worry is coming from and what it's related to. So in the, you know, I don't want mum to die it might be that they've heard something that they haven't fully understood so you've had to go to the doctor with something that's actually quite minor but they haven't understood what that is mm. so listening
0: and unpicking is is key. Finding it? out what their understanding is because yes. I think children when we talked earlier about you know children's what they understand it's about finding out from them so what so mummy's yeah has to go to the doctor but you know sometimes we'll go to the doctor and then tell me about when you went to the doctor and and get them to see that going to the doctor is an okay thing not but it might be that you know you suffer from migraines and if you suffer from a lot and then you you know you're in pain and then you've got to go to the doctors they might think you're going to die Mm. and that's Mm. probably where it's come from it might be that you've got really you might be a policewoman or a policeman or a Mm. fireman and and, you know you hear things that happen so children's perception is that yeah, you know, you do absolutely. those jobs and
1: you die, so it needs mm. to be,
0: it just needs some unpicking.
1: It needs some picking and maybe some challenging
0: of those yeah. thoughts, so, you know... Um, but I would suggest not problem solving. I mm. think where they say if it's an unrealistic worry, you could sit forever and go, yeah, but yeah. I'm not going to die, I'm going to be... All-. You could say, I'm, I'm hopefully not going to die, I'm eating health- healthily and I'm, I'm sure it could be all right, but you're never going to be ge- able to give them an answer, as you said, because we are going to die. And you can't say, I'll never die. No, so, but you
1: can challenge some of that yes. thinking in terms of, you know, how likely is it yeah. given, um, you know, my age and I'm yeah. healthy. Do you know any other? Again, parents? depending on the age of the child. Absolutely, and things, so. absolutely. But what we can do is do um, a behavioural experiment, okay. which is something that could be used. So let's look at the example, which is that um, Alexa thinks that her teacher will shout if she gets her homework wrong, and that's that's making Alexa very anxious. That she's worried that her teacher is going to shout. So you as a parent, you know the teacher and you know that that's a very unlikely outcome you may also work with the teacher um, and explain what's happening because what you're going to do is you're going to do a behavioral experiment so you're going to deliberately help Alexa to deliberately get a little bit of her homework wrong and see what happens and as I say you might well talk to the teacher in advance and say look you know Alexa's been really distressed about this it's something that's worrying her time and time again um, and I'm helping I want to help her with a behavioural experiment. She's going to come in with her homework done wrong and you know, and then see how the teacher behaves, which you know is not going to be shouting. Um, so it's a bit like pushing her up the mountain, isn't it? Behavioural experiments are a little bit at, about pushing your children up the mountain to test to see if what they fear is going to mm. happen. Um, so to get so it for as in that example that we've used you're going to encourage her to make a deliberate a deliberate mistake i mean trying to think of another problem solve
0: for a while and see if that's what she came up with yeah because again like when we talked about the other ones i think it's very much about getting them hopefully to get to that you know so how could you test this out what might you need to do to test out this theory or you know that she won't shout at you yes um and then maybe she could say she'd make a mistake, or you could say, well, that's really good. Maybe we could look at that, and then, you know, what could we do? Because mm. it, it is pushing them on the mountain. That's facing yeah. your fears, isn't it? It's yes. a big one? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, and, and in the same way that Victoria spoke previously, you might want to test the steps with the child um, about how you're going to do it. You might want to have a little bit of a practice about what's going to happen. Um, and then afterwards, when hopefully it's all gone successfully you you talk to your child about what they've learnt from this experiment and you're hoping that you know from this example they've learned that it's okay to make a mistake um that you know the teacher isn't going to shout at you for making a mistake and key and very importantly that sometimes our Worries tell us fibs or when I talk to children I I say that sometimes our brain tells us fibs and tells us things that are going to happen that aren't true and you can only find that out by Mm. going up the mountain.
0: Okay so after the worry it is important that children learn to deal with a worry and let it go. Mm. So once a worry has been dealt with or a plan has been made there really is no benefit in dwelling on it anymore but it's difficult to let go of a worry um and often children will come back you know after you, you you've talked about going to speak to the teacher or you're going to make your mistake children will often come back and go, i know but i'm really worried i'm really worried um and what they're saying what we're saying here is that um you know We advise parents not to pay attention to it um, so that um, we don't teach the child to go on and on about their worries. Instead, we advise parents to distract to get the child focused on something else. Parents should distract the child onto an activity that is absorbing and fun. So what we're saying is that even if we planned it, very shortly after the worry's been dealt with, thoughts will pop back up and the child will bring it back to the parent. So how should the parent respond? And they, a lot of the parents we have, and you know, the the suggestion is that a lot of parents think it's the right thing to probably go through Mm. it again, through the problem, reassuring the child that all is well. But if the parent does that, what are they giving? Attention. That's right, they're giving more attention to the worrying behaviour. This could be giving the child the message that they need extra reassurance, and that the worry needs to be worked through again. So instead, we think in the majority of cases, and uh, circumstances, that the parent should give the child a calm brief message such as, we've dealt with the worry, let's forget about it now until tomorrow, and then ignore and t- uh, the child's further attempts to reassurance. The parent can then distract the child onto something else. But if you are going to do this, what we suggest is that it's important you give the child the opportunity to come back and discuss the worry at another time soon. So this can be done on an ad hoc basis. For example, if you're still worried about the tomorrow after school, we can talk about it again then. Um, And for an older child who worries a lot, the parent could set aside a regular time for dealing with worries. And this is called worry time. So we distract them. We're not. We're saying now we've dealt with the worry. We're not going to talk about it anymore because the child would just keep coming back for more and more reassurance seeking, which will make them sort of yeah I know but but yeah but yeah but we need to have them say no we've dealt with it so now we're going to move on. We need to teach them this skill that it's not going round and round. But we have to give them the opportunity to come back. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's not. It, it, you're not being a negligent parent no.
1: by not constantly listening no. and reassuring no. it's not healthy for the child no. to be focused on their worries Absolutely. all the time mm. so we need to help them put it in a box so to speak or literally yeah. and and, dis,
0: and then just look at it at particular times so worry time as I've just mentioned um, this is more in, in cognitive behavioural therapy This is something that adolescents or adults would be asked to do, um, is to set aside a a period of time each day with which they can worry, um, can be very useful. Mm. Mm. Um, It means that when a new worry crops up, the client or the child can think, I don't need to worry about that now, I can do it later. And often when the specific time comes, the heat has gone out of the problem and it doesn't need much problem solving. Or even if it is still a major problem, the clients are in a calmer, more prepared state and are better set for dealing with the problem. But it gives the child um, a new sense of control over the worry. Um, they may learn this for the first time in their lives I can control this worry, um, and it can stop them worrying thoughts when they need to. So I don't need to worry about this now, I can worry about it later. So I think that's a, a... A difficult thing to do yes and something
1: that needs practicing and you need to learn because yeah. it sounds easy to say oh I don't need to think about this yeah when you're highly yeah. anxious yeah but I guess as adults it's about I'm not going to allow myself to think about this now yeah. and then for adults helping children it's it is about distraction as you say and we have mm-hmm. a specific time to talk about this and then other times distract
0: and to to get them to focus and on. And maybe something if else. they want to talk about it later they can write it down. There are things like worry dolls, the the worry box, the the worry time, yeah. um there's worry dolls, there's a lot of these things that actually say I'm gonna leave it for now and I'll talk, I'll think about it later, Yeah, I think is quite a good thing. I think they can be very useful
1: and schools yeah. use them as well. So your child may be um, familiar, but something you can do is, is have a worry box. You don't have to buy anything, as you say, yeah. there's all sorts of things, but you could just use a shoe box, get mm. your child to decorate it, and then they can write down their worries and put their worries in there. Mm and either then discuss those at this particular worry time. It's a means that they've got it out, that they, you know, they know that they can discuss it. Or for some children, just writing it down yeah. can be enough and you can then rip it up yeah. or under your supervision, you could burn the bit of paper and, and the worry mm. has gone. Um, it can be, yeah, it can be a very useful strategy to use, having mm-hmm. a, having a worry box.
0: Um, but what they're suggesting here is it's only appropriate for children who experience excessively yeah. frequent worrying, perhaps with a diagnosis, um, rather than a child who has the occasional worry, because we don't want to set them aside to say, we'll have a, a worry time each day if they, you know, they have to think of something every day. So in order to do worry time, the parent and the child set aside a regular time that they agreed to spend um, dealing with worries, and that can be done ba- daily. Um, so, for instance, the parent and child could set aside 15 minutes a day um, just after tea to deal with the worries and the parent should make sure they're always available for this time. However, if the child does not want to do worry time sometimes, that that is fine mm-hmm. as long as they don't suddenly remember a worry later on. If they do, it should wait until tomorrow's worry time. Yeah. We find this quite often, don't we, that um, parents will suggest their children worry and want to tell them about their worries and nightmares at bedtime. Yes. And we yes. would suggest that maybe this is not a good time because it means that the child is going to sleep with those worries and thoughts in their head. So I think as as much as parents say, oh, I think it'd be, re, you know, they want to talk about their worries. I think going to sleep having spoken about your worries, we would suggest is not a good idea.
1: And I think that's where we need to guide them and be fairly firm about yeah. worry time. If you're using it, you know, isn't at bedtime. Mm. And as you say, if, if the worry comes up, then we'll write it down yeah, and, we'll and we'll talk, we'll about, talk about that tomorrow. Mm. Um, and
0: you need to be sort of fairly firm with that. So I think if you've decided to do worry time, you should praise the child for managing to put those worries aside until then listen to the child's worries, use problem-solving and behavioural experiments to deal with the worries. Um, After the worry time, the child should be distracted on something fun and absorbing to take their mind off what they've talked about. And after worry time, the parent should avoid getting into any more discussion about the worries until the next scheduled worry time. The exception is, is if a brand new worry comes up. In this case, it is always appropriate for the parent to ask if it can wait until worry time and if not, to discuss it as soon as possible. So if it's a new worry, I think it's a different thing than going over the mm. same worry. Mm. But again, I would, I would suggest that you need to be careful that if they're getting the attention, I mean, yes. hopefully, yeah. we're thinking that with all the special play and the special time and everything else we're giving, that they won't be needing to look for the attention with the worries. Yes, um, yeah, absolutely. Because we're spending more time doing other things. Yeah.
1: Okay so in this session we've looked at helping our children manage their worries and helping them come up with solutions. By helping our children sort of problem solve in this way we're giving them a skill for the future. In our final session we're going to be looking at managing really difficult behaviour, time in, sorry time out we're going to touch as well, time in and consequences. Bye.